Hey, it's Chris McCaleb. And me, Mike Behrman-Trout. We just want to give you a quick update about the podcasts because we've seen some questions. All the podcasts this season were recorded well in advance. That's right. In fact, our last day of recording was February 2nd. Exactly. So you won't hear us talking about anything that's been going on in the world lately. We've all been safe and socially distant, and our hearts absolutely go out to everyone who's been affected by this. If you're looking for some way to help, there are a lot of great charities out there all over the world. I wanted to highlight two of them that Mike and I have donated to. Uh, One is No Kid Hungry. They're making sure that the 22 million low-income kids in the United States uh, who depend on free and reduced-price meals that they usually get at school are fed while the schools are closed. Uh, as well as Feeding America, which is a nationwide network of over 200 local food banks. We're all about making sure people get enough to eat. I have definitely been eating my feelings lately. You and me both, buddy. Anyway, we hope everybody's staying safe and healthy out there. And as always, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. All right, roll that intro. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the final episode of Season 5, the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. This is Episode 510, Something Unforgivable. It is written by Peter Gould and Arielle Levine, and it's directed by Peter Gould. There's so much to talk about. I'm Chris McCaleb. I'm one of the editors of the show, though not the editor of this episode. Skip McDonald edited this episode. And our co-host, Kelly Dixon, yet again, unfortunately, on assignment, wanted to be here, couldn't. It's a Sunday. She had had to work. she, uh, but she, she, she did say. She said, "What an exciting season!" She really she's loved really, being able she's to watch a, it. She's at a Super Bowl party, isn't that? Isn't that really what's going on here? <laughs> That's probably the truth. Um, no, <laughs> she, she is at work. It's been a crazy show, as I'm sure you've heard from previous episodes. When it's like we thought we were going to have her on Skype, and then she had to back out at the last minute. But uh, we do have a table full of awesome people and a huge episode to talk about. Um, first, I look to the man to my left. He is the co-writer of this episode, the director of this episode, the co-creator of the show, and the showrunner. It's Peter Gould. Hey. Hello. That's That's a lot of hats. That's That's a hat on a hat on a hat. Yeah, my neck's hurting from all these hats. (laughs) It's too much weight. Uh, And and, uh, co-creator Vince Gilligan, unfortunately not here, but uh, uh, I know that he loved this episode as well. Uh, but we do have a, a murderer's row of guests, and I'll just go around the table first. The composer of our show, Dave Porter. Hi. Hey, Dave. Hey. On the the wheels of steel, the ones and twos, the digits and the widgets, Joey Reinish. Hi, Chris. Hello. Um, explosomagico.com. Thank uh, you, Chris. For all of your podcast needs. <laughs> Checks in the mail, Chris. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> the uh, co-executive producer of the show and the person who makes everything post-production a reality is Diane Mercer. Hi. Hi, Hello. Chris. Thank you. Is that true? You make post-production a reality? I do. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a fact. And uh, and one of those realities is the way things sound. And uh, we're very lucky to have our sound supervisor, Nick Forshager. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi, Chris. Thank How's it going? Good. Good, good. This is your second appearance on the show, it right? It is. Yeah, we did, uh, what was it, 404? Did you do four? Did we do that one? Year, yeah. For which you were nominated, one? Yeah. We actually got nominated for Emmy for that. That was really, That's really, really exciting. That's crazy. Congratulations. So, yeah, it was very, very cool. Well, kind yes. of unexpected against such big shows, but it was really, that was really cool. And so yeah. deserved. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. You know, gave us good product to work with, so it makes it a lot easier. And finally, going around the table, we have the co-writer of this episode and one of the people who's been with us from the beginning Ariel Levine. hello hello this is not your first time on the podcast though right my second time that's right i was on it for uh 208 did you talk about like going to the law library or i did all kinds of stuff yeah i was the uh the writer's pa when i was on that podcast i think on that podcast i was told that i was being promoted to writer's assistant (laughs) the first i had heard of it so, and Ariel, that's, that's cool. we, got, we got more new, more news for the world. You know it already, but Ariel, Ariel is joining uh, joining us as uh, staff. Hell yes, uh, on the writing staff for, uh, for season season six. Thank you. Very There's excited. applause outside the room too. Like, that's, that's, right. that's the most applause, and I don't. You probably can't hear it, but man, that's the most applause we've ever had on this podcast. I'm blushing right now. She's already an Emmy Award winner for her work. That is correct. Her work on the uh, on, on the what were what were they? Um, the um, tra- Better Call Saul uh, training videos. So this is for the first season of training videos, uh, Los Poros Hermanos employee training. That's right. 
Congratulations. That's right. Since, you. since you were last on this podcast, you won an Emmy, which is why it's been so hard to get you back. That's true. Very busy. <laughs> Lots of commitments. Like, well, you know, the Emmy says that my schedule is pretty booked up this yeah. weekend, mm-hmm. so I don't know if I can mm-hmm. be on the podcast. <laughs> but man, this is this is a powerhouse way to end this season. And uh, I, I know that we've it's probably been the refrain you've heard most of all on this podcast. I'm really worried about Kim, but man, <laughs> I am so worried for Kim. Nobody else is? Nobody else worried about Kim? Uh, (laughs) Holy shit. So worried that I can't even speak. Yeah. (laughs) God. The final scene of this, I told Peter while we were mixing it that the final scene of this episode, her final scene in this episode makes my stomach ache. Like, it just makes me sick to my stomach. Everything about it. So upsetting. I mean, really, the corrosive nature of Jimmy on her is is, is like, it's really like, Gest- it's been gestating and we're, we're getting yeah. to see the result of it and I, I don't like I mean I love watching it but I don't like it as a person who cares so much for Kim I I, I challenge anybody who has been a fan of the show from the beginning to have actually thought before this moment that it would have been Kim Wexler's thumb on the scale that tipped Jimmy into Saul I mean I never did I see that coming no Ever, ever, ever. I love the way I love the way you put that, Diane. Mm-hmm. It it upset me when I read it on the page. <laughs> it upset me when I saw it in the cut, and uh, it still upsets me now, and it's going to forever and ever. Now, how much of that did you were you talking about at the beginning of the season? As far as because we've obviously we've seen this this slide for Kim this this season, and she's kind of she was she was troubled by it. She was. She was wrestling with it. We'd see her dip her toe in, not know what she's doing. And I mean, she's the the way that she is at the end here is, I mean, even Jimmy is just like, whoa, what is this? Did you, how much of that were you talking about as far as the the arc of the whole season or, or did that sort of develop organically? This is what I remember. We felt that Jimmy is, is on this road that's very clear to, well, not, that clear but it's we we've seen we've seen what he becomes on breaking bad and so there's this slide but the person who's really in question is kim wexler and i think we started that in episode one uh with with that that great scene where uh where kim lies to her clients uh and then and then she feels she feels remor- a lot of complicated feelings remorse and a lot of other things at the end of that and it was i think it was just sort of it was sort of organic that we that we got there what do you what do you ariel you probably remember this better than i do <laughs> um i mean yeah i think you know in the writers room i know we approached it very organically you know like where's kim's head at now where's her head at now and i think you know she always she was always a kind of a a, a deep you know kind of complicated character you know we saw you know as early as you know season one, you know, when she sees Jimmy's billboard, you know, she kind of, she smiles a little to herself, you know, she, she likes, you know, that side of Jimmy. Um, and she, you know, enjoys scamming with him in the beginning of season two. So she's always had that in her. But I think as, you know, time goes on and as she continually chooses to be with Jimmy, she chooses to stay with him no matter what he does. Um, you know, she's sort of starting to see things his way. You know, she's, um, you know, in it, you know, in for a penny and for a pound. And I think that's sort of, started to manifest in her a little bit but also interesting that that she and and you know who knows where the the future is going to take her but all of it it, in in typical kim fashion it's directed towards a good end i mean she's talking about doing a truly reprehensible thing in the service of you know having a pro bono law firm essentially to help people who really need help and I, I just I wonder how much further the sort of ends justify the means um, uh, arguments. I wonder how much farther she can take those before she just completely loses her compass. That's what a great question. <laughs> what a yeah. great question. Yeah. That's what Thank makes goodness it so there's another season. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one, yeah. one more season. Yeah. Uh, which is very, very sad, but very exciting. And man, I, I, I mean, it can't come soon enough and it, and it won't. <laughs> but um, but it, because uh, we we leave, I mean I know we're skipping around at, 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 but we 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 leave on such a such unstable ground 
as far as like all of our characters, what's happening to Kim? Um, there, you can't see it, but uh, two people in this room are wearing a, uh, a, a crew shirt that was inspired by this episode, where it's it's a it's an artist's rendering of Kim um, doing those finger guns, the pew pew that like she does there. Is that a reference to anything in particular in the show, or are are we just kind of relishing where Kim is at as far as the how not seriously she's taking this very serious uh, concept that she had? I think there's so many ways to read that last moment between Jimmy and Kim. I would hate to try to nail it down. I don't think Jimmy knows. I don't think Jimmy knows what she means by that completely. Uh, and I think Bob, I love the way Bob plays that at the end. He's got a lot of different thoughts going on in that moment. And uh, she seems to, but she seems kind of sure of herself in that moment. You know, it, it, it whatever it is, 3.30, 4.30 in the morning, uh, after a very long couple of days, uh, she seems, you know, she seems to have this, uh, she seems to have had either an insight or, or I don't know, or is she playing him? There's a, there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different ways to read that. Uh, there are a ton of locations in this episode, including oh. two brand new locations. You have this this hotel that they've checked into, and then, of course, we have the introduction of this you know, luxury compound that is Lalo's compound with with his family and his his uh, cohorts. Uh, talk a little bit about the the, the complicated. This is a complicated episode, I imagine, from a production standpoint. To find these locations, to how how talk a bit about that, and also you know, and you directed it, Peter, wonderfully. Um, well, you know, this this I, I will say I don't I did not. Uh, we did not break this episode saying, "Oh well, Peter. Peter wants to do lots of locations and have a lot of gunfire." <laughs> uh, those aren't those aren't necessarily things that I relish. It's just the way it's just the way that these episodes kind of have a life of their own. Um, and uh, you know, I have to give all credit to Christian Diaz de la Boya, who did um, who's our location manager. Because this season, he just hit everything out of the park. Uh, he 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 was able to find basically he. It's an interesting position he has because he has to he reads the script and then you would think oh he's going out and he's finding places which is which is absolutely his job but he also has he has to have uh, a way with people he has to be able to understand what what's going to make people comfortable in, in in this case letting us use their home but also he has to read the script deeply enough to really understand all the geographical uh, the geographical and logistical things that we're looking for. And in this particular case, the, the trickiest thing really for this episode was uh, Lalo's Hacienda, um, which actually was the first thing we shot. And the other side of that because is, is the art department because we had a, this season, we were so happy to have Mark Freeborn uh, come back uh, who is our production designer on most of Breaking Bad, uh, and he is he is a remarkable talent. And this episode, I think, stretched that department about as far as we can go because that that wall outside Lalo's Lalo's hacienda is practical. They built this damn wall. It's insane. Um, it's insane, and it it was uh, I think 14 feet tall. It was like three feet thick, barbed wire on the top, and uh, it was you know a temporary structure. Uh, that was built at the studio and then transported out there. And they built this thing. They built, uh, there's more sets in this than usual. The, the hotel room that Jimmy and Kim stay in, that is, a, that is a, a, a wonderful set that has so many different aspects to it. The, the bathroom. The bathtub. With the, with the, that bathroom. With the space. Oh, the bath, the, the tunnel. I want the, that bathroom. The tunnel, <laughs> the bathroom. Uh, and also one that you may not realize watching it, the kitchen is is a set on stage and then also the at the, the house at the house the kitchen wow. where all the gunfire goes That's down an that is creation of the actual kitchen at, the, at that location just crazy it, it's and that was mark's mark said if you really want to shoot this place up we're gonna have to build it <laughs> uh and so we did we did and then the uh the the back area where uh, lalo is with uh nacho where they have those those fraught conversations they they built that deck uh, that that deck there. Uh, it's just it was a nice a, there was. A, I mean, I have to give all props to uh, 
to to the whole the whole team and uh, you know especially calling out to Ashley Marsh our sec decorator uh, who who really I think just is the best set deck uh, I've I've seen it's just well we've had always great set deck but this this season I think her whole department exceeded themselves and then Paula Del Santos and Billy Ray our art directors who work um, with with Mark Freeborn really it just did it. it's 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 remarkable what they pulled off and then finally of course Steve Brown who's been with us um, I think since he's been our our, um, our our construction coordinator for a few seasons now you know all this stuff had to get built. And it, it's uh, it was built beautifully. I mean, you you know, I think we all felt like when we saw that bathroom, which was built on stage, we all said, "I want that bathroom! I want that bathroom!" <laughs> it's so nice. <clears throat> How much lead time do you afford these folks to build us all this stuff? It, that's a great question. I think the um, the one thing that I think we pride ourselves on, uh, and this is maybe uh, this is maybe one of the. The, the tricks with the show is that we take we take a lot of time in the writer's room. Uh, and so the scripts, in this case, actually more stuff was cut from this episode than I think any episode of either show. From the script? Uh, from the script. There were more things that Ariel and I wrote that didn't end up getting shot. Uh, because, well, believe it or not, what we had conceived of was even bigger and crazier. <laughs> even bi- we went off the deep end, and we had to really uh, think about how to how to fit all this into uh, what was reasonable to actually do. Um, but we we try to we we try to get anytime we have anything that's unusual or different. As soon as we know, we communicate it to uh, to production, and we also had the outlines come out very early. And we do our best. We, I, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact. That I don't think we've ever had a, a script, that came, um, a draft that came late on this, on this show. That, that uh, so we spend a lot of time and effort trying to make sure, that everybody. We may ask the impossible, but we give people as much time as we humanly can uh, to, to get to work on. It. Of course, the other, the other difficulty is, is that, um, when these department heads are getting. They're, they're, these scripts, they're already working on other episodes. And we had, um, especially episode eight this season, of which we've already spoken about, was, a, was an especially large, comp- it was especially large, complicated episode uh, with, I mean, it was vast. Uh, and Vince, of course, pulled it off beautifully and the whole crew did. But that, was, that, was, that took an enormous uh, number of resources and a lot of focus uh, 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 from I think the last two. So basically, even though the, everyone had a script and an outline, I think, I think while they were shooting eight, I think they already yeah, had I, it. I remember having they already conversations had it. about ten during eight. But sure. they, they, there was no real opportunity to do a lot of the work because everybody yeah. was all hands on deck well, on and, episode and, eight. And also stage space. Yes. I mean, they had to do a couple of big builds for eight, and then we had some stuff for nine. So like. The schedule, the actual like one line, you know, daily shooting schedule of 10 had to be completely built around when stage space would become available for them to actually get in and start building the, the kitchen and the bathroom and all these other things. I, and in fact, in fact, we ended up using uh, the mill building for yeah. some of our for some of our sets. So the inside of the uh, the tunnel was built in the mill building, which is essentially a building where, you know, it's for construction purposes. Yeah. It's not so a it's, soundstage. It's not right? a soundstage. <laughs> and also the elevator that Kim has right. her encounter with uh, with Howard, uh, that was built in the mill building. And then we also put up um, Nacho's gate that he works on to get some more shots. All in the One of the things I, I never get used, I never get tired of it, I never get used to it, is just the, the surrealistic, sense of looking around and seeing all these places right next to each other all these weird things right next to each other it's uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, that i got excited about as a kid taking the universal studios tour uh and and uh getting to be uh, getting to go to paramount when i was a child and i never get tired of of the uh the artifice next to the artifice of seeing these different sets next to each other. And maybe that's why we have so many damn sets on this episode. Well, I, don't know. And, I and, you know, the, like you said, that stage pace is at such a premium when th- there's a lot of pressure on us as editors, when they're done with a set for the season and they know that cause it doesn't come back up in any episodes. They're, they're hot on us to say, do we have it? Do we have everything? Can we tear this set down? 
And I know that I'm sure it was in service of 10 that they were they were just on me about the Schweikert and Coakley office. And um, and, you know, they had they started taking it down in pieces to start mm-hmm. making room for that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a, it's a crazy operation. And, you know, there's another location, which I assume is a real place that that it seems it seems small. And I have two questions about it, um, but it's that PD overflow room. Yes. Where there's all of these <laughs> pending cases. That's another. Oh my is that a real place or a set? That is. Act- well, I mean, it, it was um, in in the in the Albuquerque courthouse in the basement, actually set up in the basement. Um, it's not a. We we took some um, creative license um, with with you know what that room might look like and where it might be located, but it is it it was on location and not on not a set. And did you, at what point was, was, did the idea come up to have there be that flickering light in that room? Because it, boy, does it set the tone in that room so immediately and also what a set deck uh, uh, feat that room is. It's, it's incredible. But, uh, yeah, I, I, boy, when did we, when did we come up with the idea? The very beginning, that flickering light is in the outline. Oh, oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah, we were talking about what this room might look like, you know, what, what sort of vibe we wanted it to have. Sorry if you used the word vibe. but That's um, right. No, and, and like, you know, one of the first things we thought of was like, yeah, like, you know, kind of like, you know, dark fluorescent lights, you know, maybe maybe a flickering light, you know, some like cobwebs or some like water stain, you know, uh, ceiling panels. With all and, of which transferred onto the screen. Yeah, it, it was very... And, that, that that's that's amazing that it was in the outline because that flicker this is the first thing I noticed in that scene I was like holy shit this really sets the tone for for what Kim is willingly jumping into is this this it's like oh you sure you want to be a part of this well here's the dark underbelly and uh, and it, it seems it's a very small scene but it seems very significant and the other question I have about it is that there is a very short but very striking and has stuck with me a piece of music in there, Dave. And, uh, I, I, it, 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 that's a, is that a new theme that we haven't heard before? Cause it, it felt like a, a, ch- a chapter had been turned. Yeah. I think we, we talked about it quite a bit and we, we worked on it quite a bit. Um, I, I, we don't do a lot of music for Kim, um, traditionally, but I think that's, on its way to changing, I, I can sort of feel that that change coming. And there's a, a couple of moments in the, these last few episodes where we do use music around her, and this is a, a, a moment we definitely wanted to put a little light on, um, just to make sure you know all the amazing set and everything aside, making sure everybody was deeply sucked into where she is, and maybe not telling everybody where she is, leaving that open to interpretation. Um, but certainly making sure that uh, the the gravity and the and the the 180 degree shift that she's taken from being a corporate lawyer to this big big shift downstairs uh, and the pro bono cases was right. was made clear and that it, it's that it's 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 a big moment. It's oh go ahead. No, I'm just saying in terms of thematic stuff. To be honest, you know, throughout the history of this entire universe of shows. Um, with a f- couple of exceptions, the cousins being one of them, um, everybody's character changes and adapts so much over the course of this show that the, you know the use of themes is not something we've really done. So, I, because even in the course of a few episodes, these characters change enough that to try to rejigger a theme to keep sure. up with how fast sure. um, our characters change, it's just it's not practical, right? Well, it's a really affecting piece of music, and and I I felt that combined that combined with Ray's performance, obviously, and the way that you shot it, Peter, you're so in her head. I mean, you are instantly deep in her head and in her heart, and trying to sort of weigh the gravity of of kind of where her head is at and and what she's considering doing, which we then at the end of the episode kind of really really get a sense of how far she's willing to take it to 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 get into this this PD overflow world. It's it's yeah, and I also have to give major props to Roy Wood Jr. who's uh He's terrific. He's so, so terrific. I, Ariel and I had long conversation. We were I don't know if it's fair to say we were struggling, but we we've thought a lot about this character 
and he just it was it was a little bit of a struggle to figure out who he was and what his attitude was and how mm-hmm. is he not just another version of Oakley. Yeah. Um, you that know, Peter DeSeth's wonderful character. How is he how is he not a version of that? And then um I, my wife, Nora, uh I was talking about it with her and she said, "What about Roy Wood Jr.?" And she is a tremendous fan of the Daily Show. Mm-hmm. Uh Nora is and uh this is another she's also has a great Eye for casting. She was, I think, simultaneously with the Ali Thomas suggested Bob in the beginning for for Saul Goodman. Uh, but it, Roy, as soon as I remember Ariel and I talked about him, we watched some Roy Wood Jr. and then suddenly I felt like he the character sort of walked walked yeah. in. Uh, and, it all came and, together. And he he is he is uh, such a, a, a wonderful guy and a nice a nice guy, but also he understood. What we were getting at, and in such, it it, it was it, it was really it was a delight working with him and Ray uh, together was just really a delight. Yeah, well, it feels very it. real. Yes, and, and and yeah, you 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 believe that you believe their relationship and and his reaction to her. You believe it's, it's so instantly, which is critical because there's so little time to 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 get into it. And Ariel wrote such great dialogue for him too about the uh, the outhouse at Woodstock <laughs> and all the, there's there's a whole there's a whole series of uh you you just kind of get the guy very quickly and it's really because of Ariel's Ariel's wonderful work. Thank you, Peter. The other thing I've just mentioned is that we said what about Roy Wood? We had no idea if we could get him or if he was available. And this That's is one of, the, one of the wonderful things. Occasionally, every once in a while, uh, you come up with an idea for a piece of, for a piece of casting. And usually, 99% of the time, uh, Bialy Thomas, we don't have any idea of who to cast. And, 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 and uh, Sharon Sherry and Russell come up with these amazing – this was one case – where I, I want to emphasize this is very unusual. It was one case where we happened to have an idea, and boy, he was available and, and willing to do it, and, and we're we're really grateful for that. That's it's we super lucky. Out. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Um, and uh, I have another music question um, for you, Dave. I just learned uh, that in the process of mixing this show, uh, there is the scene, a phone call scene with Jimmy and Mike. And that there hadn't been music there and that uh, the idea came up in the mix. This is how, this is how fluid the, these shows are to sort of strip out the audio that you heard, the dialogue. Mike's, yeah, Mike's, we pulled out Mike's, Mike's side. side. Yeah, we see, we see Jimmy and we pulled out. It was actually, uh, I believe it was Vince's idea. This was mm-hmm. the playback. Yeah. This was Vince's idea and Vince... Uh, Vince, this was actually the first time he'd seen the episode. He mm-hmm. watched it playback, and he had a couple of really smart, good thoughts, and that was one of them, which was just maybe we don't hear Mike, Mike's side of the conversation. And then Dave, we so, I, so we played it back again. We muted Mike's side of the conversation. Boy, this is this is this really does work. That's a great idea. And then Dave, you you had a reaction. Yeah, I mean, just I was thankful to be there and to see that um, in the moment because. Uh, that simple idea of just losing one half of the conversation to me changed entirely what the scene was about. It, it became much less of a, uh, an informational moment for the audience and, and more of a, 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 a push and a motivator for, for Saul. Uh, and the beginning of that episode is pretty dry, musically speaking, in terms of score. But um, there is so much push in it, you know, especially the back half of the episode. Um, the score's biggest goal, in, in my view, was just to keep that tension slowly, slowly ratcheting it up. Um, and to me, this was actually a, a great little way to uh, introduce that and also just push us through, you know, to the next act, um, which would never have worked in the context of a, a the, both sides of that conversation because then as an audience member you're just listening and you're you're learning facts you're 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 you know anticipating what's going to happen but now because we're only seeing Jimmy which we only ever saw right Jimmy mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. we ever saw yeah, we but saw we never him. saw Mike's side but because we're not hearing it now we're only getting half that conversation we're really on Jimmy's 
in Jimmy's head and Jimmy's perspective at the moment. So. Yeah, and it's incredibly effective too, which was um, always sort of what we were going for. Um, we actually had broken some other scenes kind of in that storyline, kind of like ratcheting up Jimmy's tension and, you know, how, how, how stressed he is, how anxious he is for, for Kim's safety. You know, oh my God, Lalo knows who right. she is. You know, he, and, and I'm, we lied to him. What's going to happen? Oh my gosh. You know, and we, um, we, we ended up, you know, cutting it all. And, you know, we thought, we felt, oh, this phone call is enough, you know, to get Jimmy to really kind of convey how anxious Jimmy is about this. Um, and then even cutting Mike's dialogue and adding this fantastic piece of music, really, it gets, it gets the uh, emotion across I think so, so effectively. Something, and Nick can really speak to this, but, you know, something I think a lot of people don't understand is, you know, I think people may have the impression that when a show is going to its final mix stage, it's just this process of putting all the prearranged pieces together, right? And that the creative decisions have been made, but the, the reality is there's still so many creative decisions to get made. Um, I, I always come with, you know, backup options ready to go for things, and Nick, I'm sure, has tons of, you know, things ready to go just in case the wind blows a slightly different way or just things don't play the way you expect them to. And um, there's right up to the bitter end, <laughs> there, are, there are always uh, Im important you know, really sometimes episode-changing things that can happen right up until the last minute. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the, the schedule helps us be able to kind of respond to those things. True. Um, we used to mix Breaking Bad in two days. I mean, I still can't believe we did it. <laughs> two days. Oh, man. Um, Gives me shivers just thinking about I, it. I, 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 yeah, how, many yeah, days, how many days do we mix now? We mix three now. But, but the, the key is that we you know nick and uh and i and the the sound mixers go through it i mean it starts with the mixers and nick and Catherine and um jason newman our music editor um and they they work through it then i come in on day two and and we work through it and then we present it you know in the evening to to peter and the other producers and the writer of the episode um but then we come back the next day to do the fixes. We used to, on Breaking Bad, we would do the playback, and then we would stay there all night until it was done. And in fact, we did that on this show, too, to begin we with. We did it at the very beginning, yeah. um, and, and it just wasn't working anymore. And, I mean, the fact that we were able to get the extra day, that meant that Dave could have this idea right. and then go away for a, a night. And right. it, it, like if we had to fi if we had to finish it that night, like that kid wouldn't have made it in, and, and, and yeah. the show would be worse for it. You and know? It, it's also a, uh, it's one of the things I've become more and more aware of doing this job is just, uh, you know, humans, we're all human, and you know you you know you mm. get the you get the you know sometimes you hear people talk about these job these jobs and think that well you know working a Working eight, hour eighteen, hour twenty is 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 fine, and that's the way. She, it's not. It's you have to. People don't make good decisions if if you're if you're uh, if you work if your hours are too long. And it's it's a it's it's something. It's a it's I think endemic in our business in particular, where uh, there there are all these demands that don't take into account just the fact that we're human beings who eat eat sleep breathe. And that we, everyone has to, you know, everyone has to survive. And you need a I, mental break. I'm just going to say for myself, I don't make good, you know, I, my decision making is not great at three or four in the morning, uh, in 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 post. <laughs> in, in on the set, it's a little bit different because you're, it's it's still not great, but it's it's a little different on the set. But Diane, and this is where this is again one of the reasons why Diane is a, a, a wonderful producer, a special producer. She she saw this problem. I know. I never. I never said anything about it. And you, she saw this that this was this wasn't working because we were there until three in the morning, yeah. uh, and then the next day we'd have to go back. You know, we'd be back. Yeah, at this the was usual, like on a yeah, on a Monday night. On a Monday night, we'd be <laughs> and there. And then you're starting your week, and and you're just ruined. And there's the more the there's more things to do, and uh, so that's that's that really made makes a huge difference. Uh, I. I I enjoy the process so much more now than I did back then. Um, I mean, we used to do it. It was a very different. And I just for I, I know we're kind of taking for granted. I guess we're taking for granted. Everyone who's listening to this knows what it makes is. If you don't, you should Google it uh, <laughs> or, or or Bing Bing it or whatever. Uh, but it, it's a it's it's a, it's 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 a, it's a big mm. it's 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 a it's a major moment in the yeah. life it's, of the, it's, the show. It's really. I mean. 
It's 50% of the storytelling. I, I mean, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. uh, you know, people focus so much on the visuals and, and, and the production and all that. And, and, but, I mean, I think, you know, Nick, Nick has been with this whole team since the pilot of Breaking Bad. And, and his influence on the way the story is told is immeasurable. And just how things sound and, and the approach that you take to how you design things and... I mean, you can talk much more. By the way, just I just do have to ask one question. So you we mixed this show in three days. Yes. How many days did you mix El Camino? How long was the mix for El Camino? (laughs) Uh, Uh, Twenty-seven days. Okay. Yeah. All right. That includes pre-dubbing and final dubbing. So that's that's a movie mixes mixes uh, for twenty-seven days and an episode of television, (laughs) which is. Frankly, this particular episode is is uh, only is, this is only this is only, yeah, this is only yeah. about four. It's only yeah. about it's, uh, this is only uh, thirty minutes short of being a feature. Let me take the last top. episode and this episode. That those two episodes oh, are almost four as episodes. I'm I'm saying even yeah. just nine and ten, almost as long as El Camino, yeah. which had twenty seven days, and we had six, six days to do those two episodes. Well, so I think that's something to touch on a little bit about the three days is that also Diane and I were just talking about that this week is when we did Breaking Bad, we never had up to the last season any episodes over 47 minutes. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you know, so the length is much different now. We're averaging 55 minutes maybe now. Um, so the scope of work has changed dramatically just in the sense that the, the, the length is so much longer. Uh, but also the density of what we're doing has changed. The tools obviously have let us do more things. But, um, you know, we start layering and, 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 and growing upon what we've done in the past and trying to expand it and, and make more out of it. I went back and looked at a couple of uh, session uh, um uh, from previous episodes, and we might be maybe 48, 68 tracks wide on all of our sound effects. And I would say, like, on your episode and on Vince's episode, we were probably close to 250, 300 tracks. So the immense oh, volume wow. of material you've got to go through in that amount of time has, you know, just grown through time. And, and what, what makes, what causes you to have more tracks? What's, what, are we, what are we hearing that's different with more tracks well, okay, on this episode in particular, you were talking, you started uh, the conversation about locations, and that's a great, great place for us to, to look at for sound. Uh, most of the time, everybody will always remember the big sound effects moments, the gunshots and the explosions and all these things. But when you have five, six, seven new locations, and they're all part of trying to tell the story, uh, a new part of the story, then we've got to come up with ideas of trying to make that something new and, and, and find things that help that along. And that expands what you're trying to do. So you're pulling off of some old ideas, and like the courthouse is a good, a good example. We have two scenes, the one in the basement, which is all new, but it's in that universe. It's got to feel like it's part of the courthouse, but it's a new location in the courthouse, and how do we make that sound like it's in the same place, but it's something new? Another one is just the elevator you talked about, which is a very short scene We've never been in the elevator other than in uh, the episode where Jimmy's with uh, the DA. 502. 502. Uh, but we actually rode in the elevator and we changed floors. And it's a very short scene, but it was, you know, yet again, something we have to deal with on the fly and figure out how, to, how are we going to make this world change uh, going from one location to the other. So that's how things expand because you guys are taking the uh, – you're, you're expanding your ideas and not – uh, and, and building upon them, we have to then build upon those ideas as well. And that's where it gets more complicated. Um, one other thing that David kind of touched on, on the collaboration process on the stage, um, uh, it does, we, we come in with an idea, we sit, we spot, and then we, we execute it in our editing rooms. And, but then once you get all the pieces together, the dialogue, the new ADR, the group, uh, music sometimes, the first time I hear it is on the stage. And, uh, it changes how we feel. And sometimes it's just that, what emotion do we feel while we're here today? Because now you can hear the, all the dialogue. You can see how it's playing in a scene. And s- things that we thought would maybe be in the foreground of something then ends up taking a back seat, or vice versa. Sometimes we go, hey, you know what? We need more background here, or we need more things happening because we're trying to tell a different side of that story. And that happens on, 
on the fly in that if we say we have 30 hours to mix the show, it happens that quickly. It happens every day when we're there. So That, that scene, uh, the scene at, at the Hacienda with Lalo and Nacho out on the deck is, I think, mm -hmm. a really good example of what you're talking about. Oh, because yeah. in the in the temp, you know, that 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 scene was was filmed outside at night um, and in parts like everything is is filmed and the bugs were very very loud yeah. <laughs> that Dang night. Bugs. Um, and they were they sounded different on Lalo's side than they did on Nacho's side and when you're watching the scene in the uh, in the editing room it's distracting because you hear the every time we cut from one character to the next you know the bugs are jumping around and changing and and all you can think about is the bugs yeah. <laughs> and it's a really intense quiet scene with a lot of subtext that you really want to be inside of the character you know you want to be with nacho there and you want to feel that tension and it was really taking you out of it and so we knew we had a lot of work to do um with that and um and katherine madsen who's our uh, amazing ADR supervisor, co-supervisor co co this, uh, this year, but she she kind of takes runs point on working with the actors and recording all the ADR, and she and and she also works with the dialogue editor, so they had to really pull pull together a combination of ADR, you know, cleaned up production dialogue, um, and then Nick is putting the bugs back in, mm -hmm. but in a way that sounds you know even and uniform so that it's not you know removing you from the scene that so you can actually live in the scene and then on top of that we have dave scoring it and we don't hear that until you know i mean we hear it you know peter and ariel and 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 i listen to it you know about a week before we mix we start hearing the music but you know nick really doesn't see it until we get onto the stage and so then that changes everything again and even we had trouble the first time we listened to the cue because the we had to actually go back and listen to it a second time with no sound at all and just listen to the music mm -hmm. to be sure it was going to work because the way that the bugs were jumping around and the way they sounded in the production tracks you couldn't uh, you couldn't evaluate the music and so mm. so all of that comes together very 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 late in the game right um and i think where that scene ended up is amazing i mean i think it's a it's a it's a highlight of the episode for sure and it just it leads you right up to that incredible action sequence that peter shot which you have a future in action directing if you want it. <laughs> uh, if you want it. You and Michael Bay. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, nice. it's, that, 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 that's where sound really takes it to the, over the finish line, you know? No, without a doubt. And in, in, in that context, sometimes we, you know, if we know we're going to have score in a scene like that, we know we can minimize what we need to do like it's like we don't have to cut back on the bugs that much or you because you know music's going to cover some of the flaws mm -hmm. but there's been many times where we spotted where we thought we we're going to have music and then we don't <laughs> and so we've got to make sure that it can play without music and that's how we generally design anything because you guys design it that way we spot without music you edit without music and we edit without music because we need to make sure that the the scenes can stand on their own whether there's music or not but there's been many a times where, you know, and uh, like I said, where we think that there's not going to be music and then there is music. And that can be a plus. And sometimes for the sound, like you're doing something very subtle, could be we might be in different tonalities and that happens. But generally, we've had conversations about where we think it's going to go. But um, uh, but then there's many times where, you know, the score will have score and we'll take it out. And because we feel like we don't need it, and then we got to make sure that we can fill those 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 voids and make sure that it's smooth. And uh, thanks for pointing out that scene at the fireplace because that is one of those scenes where if you saw the before and the after, they're two different scenes and tell you know help tell a much better story in I'm, the end. Just so. to give give you a, 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 a the listener a, an idea of what this looks like, we're sitting in a in a theater. Uh, the the image of the show is probably 20 feet across. Uh, it's there's a lot of speakers. There's a giant mixing console. On on the left is is Larry Benjamin who who mixes uh, dialogue and music, and on the right is Kevin Valentine who mixes our sound effects. And then in the in the back row there's uh, there's a bunch of us sitting in a row, uh, including Nick. 
uh, and Catherine, who both have Nick, Catherine, and Jason, who all have computers in front of them, and who are all ready to cut something on the fly. Uh, and so we'll we'll set you know we'll watch the whole episode once through once once you guys have done all your work on day two, we'll watch the whole episode through, and all of us. Uh, are uh, who are watching for the first time are frantically jotting notes and trying to keep track of what what time code uh, the notes are. And generally, my notes are are, are um, uh, about emphasis. That's that's where I feel like I my I can be most helpful. Is that that I want to hear this, not that. Uh, this having having more of this, less of that. That that's the main thing. It's I don't really feel. Well, I mean, sometimes you notice a little, a little, a little something technical, but that's not really that's not really my my role is mostly uh, to 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 help to figure out what's the right emotional note to hit uh, to help to help figure that out. And everybody has an opinion, and we try to take them all into account. Uh, there's a lot of very smart people in the room, and then uh, then then we we go over notes for about an hour or two hours, and then then. Those of us who have been giving notes go away, and then we listen to it. There's a lot of work that happens in response to those notes, and then we come back and listen to it again and go through it. The first time we watch it, it's we watch the whole show straight through, and then then when we're doing the fixes, we watch sequence by sequence. And uh, it's it's a painstaking process, but it's also magical because the show comes alive in a certain way that and it's and it's it just it start it goes from being uh sometimes a series of beautiful shots and beautiful moments to being an integrated emotional experience in that in that moment uh and it's 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 when it clicks it's just this wonderful feeling i remember walking away from the mix actually this episode and i was kind of walking on air uh because we had worked so hard and i felt uh, we had taken taken the, sh- the episode and the whole season. Frankly, it was a feeling of the whole season of, of of how far we had taken. We had taken all these episodes together, uh, and that was that was. So that's that's the, that's what the experience is like for my my seat. I know you guys have a totally. But one of the things I noticed though is I'll say you know uh, what if we had a little bit what if what if you know we had more of a click at this point. And Nick isn't running to, to find a click. He's he's leaning over. He's leaning over to Larry and saying, "You know, look look in the um, look in the yellows. Look in the yellow. Look in the yellows. Look in the yellows. Is per the third one down in the yellows uh, because they're he's cut. He and his team have cut all these sound effects. And if you look at it, it's I mean, it's if you're familiar with what an editorial timeline looks like, it's like." the world's biggest editorial timeline that these guys are scrolling up and down and there are thousands thousands of little items uh little and i will say that my experience when i was a a youngster uh i was uh, before this stuff was all digital i um i worked in uh, in sound uh cutting cutting physical mag tracks and uh, doing cue sheets and, th- and the things that we were doing, and including on some some low budget features, the things we were doing were so rudimentary mm-hmm. compared to the sophistication and complexity of what these guys are pulling off. It's just, it, it's 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 uh, it's um, it's amazing. It's amazing the density of of sound effects that you're listening to when you watch one of these episodes. Yeah, and al- and almost every sound you hear, especially something specific and featured, is is not just one sound. I mean, right. it's it's a combination of, of of things, and that's why it's it's actually we've talked about this a few times. It's like uh, there's times where it would be amazing to be able to preview stuff for you, you know, before mm-hmm. we go on the stage, so that you can hear some of the sounds that we're working on. But it's it, it's basically impossible because for you to listen to it in an editing bay is not going to be the experience you have listening to it. Um, you know, once Kevin has has worked with, with it, so you really have to um, you have to do it on the stage because it just it, you just really can't get ahead of it in that way. For sure, no, you see that all the time. You know, and, and yet again, the time frame that we have to do this, we don't 
we can't. We just don't have time to preview it. So what I do is I, I get all the tracks from the editors maybe one or two days ahead, and then I go through every everything. So I, that's why when Peter says, you know, it's the yellow track, I've been through the show and I kind of know where things are. So then when there is a request when you don't know what it is or don't have it, then you know, okay, i got to go find that really quick. That's why we have all of our computers ready to go. And everybody's um, connected to the same session, right? And so you're able to drop something in and you say, okay, now it's on this track. Sort of. What we usually do is I, I'll cut it offline so that we can keep moving forward. Uh, if I was connected to them, I would have to stop them in order to do that, which we can't oh. do. Uh, we want to keep moving forward. So that's why it's like, hey, give me an hour, give me 15 minutes, or give me a minute. Sometimes it depends on what it is. Um, so I'll cut it offline. I have the session, the main session in front of me. So I'll edit in that and then I'll give it back to Larry or Kevin and then they'll drop it in. So that's how we you know, move through it as quickly as we can. Um, I want to kind of give a shout out to those guys because we're all in awe of each other of what we do in this, you know, and those guys are, you know, basically my partners in crime and I work with them all the time. But I know how much material I give them <laughs> and especially Kevin. And for him to be able to go through that in a day and a half and get it on the screen and have some idea of where most things are, and sometimes he doesn't <laughs> because he's, he's gone through the material so fast, is, is mind-boggling to me. And I feel like because of their skill and, and uh, talent, I feel I can ladle it on and I know that it's required on this show, but they never miss a beat. They never say, oh God, stop bringing me stuff. You know, I, <laughs> They really just work their well, way through it and they make it seem really seamless, but I know how agonizing and hard it is for them to sit there for nine hour stretches, very few bathroom breaks, <laughs> very few times to get out of the room to kind of, you know, uh, unwind and, you know. Rest their ears. Rest, rest their I mean, ears, exactly. Yeah. But to even just have an idea of where everything lives, that's is mind-boggling to me. And I sit behind them every day. <laughs> so I just want to kind of give a shout-out to them because they do an amazing, amazing job in a very, very short period of time. Hey, Dave, what are you thinking about when you – because you know your music very, very well. What are you thinking about when you when you watch the mix uh, and you see how it's fitting into the whole the whole picture? Well, it's exactly that is how is it fitting in. You know, is it um, because just like Nick said, he, he walks in to this situation never heard, having heard the music. I walk in never having heard what he's done either. Uh, so, you know, obviously we have, uh, we've been doing this a long time. Yeah. And we have a lot of deference for understanding, I think, the moments where I need to step back um, in terms of busyness or fullness in, in, in the music. Um, to give uh, other sounds their their spot, but you can only guess that so much when you're working on just the very basic tracks that I've gotten um, from the editors to work with while I'm writing the score. So there's a little you know back and forth about that, and then to me it's it's I'm very always very cognizant and concerned about um, is the music. Uh, musical and in that sense does is it is it blending is it is it feeling particularly the score not, not so much like the source music but the score is it is it feeling organic is it arriving organically and disappearing organically within the the context of all the other sounds that are going on um, because I, I never want there to be that moment where you sort of sit up and say oh music just started mm -hmm. that's that mm -hmm. that's the last thing i'd ever want in right. in most cases obviously there's some some you know uh moments where you, you would want you know a surprise or a big you know moment like but generally speaking um you know i'm i'm there to help just you know heighten everything that everybody's already done you know uh on the show and just make it a more visceral experience and a more maybe heady experience sometimes um but i i'm I think it's just mostly, you know, it, are the nuances that I hoped come through, are they coming through? Um, is it, you know, a, a appropriate, um, not only in terms of the the moment in which this piece of music is being played, but as an arc through the whole episode? Because that's really important, too, I think, you know, I, especially because all of us, work on these things scene by scene by scene. 
right, including me, and and to have to be able to have that moment to sit back and view it all as a whole mm-hmm. um, is important and something on a TV schedule. Um, frankly, most of us don't have a lot of time to do until this moment. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can be a surprise <laughs> too. You're like, oh, okay. So we need to, you know, really think about <clears throat> how this, how the music builds throughout the episode. For example, in this episode, there's just so much tension in it, and there's especially from the moment that that um, Nacho's awake at 3 a.m. or 10 to 3, right? And and about the thing, it's 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 a ticking time bomb of a lot of bad stuff, no matter how it ends up or how it plays out. Um, and uh, it just needs to, to push and build, even though, you know, it's the middle of the night and it's quiet on a very bucolic spot in Mexico somewhere. So, I love that. I love those those that sequence in there. Just the, you know, the tense nacho inside, you know, making the making his little his uh the shims, he's making the shims, and that's all so tense. And then he's, you know, he's he's walking through the house, and then he's outside. And, oh crap! There's not there's Lalo, and you know, underneath, you know, this this really tense conversation, the sound of the crickets and the fire and everything. You know, it's sort of the music is like it's it's building, it's building, it's laying low, it's making you feel tense. And then suddenly, Lalo, Nacho's back in the house, and the music just kicks up really loud, and it's just it gave me goosebumps when I listened to it the first time. It's so well done. Ariel, love this, it. This is your first time being on set as the writer, yes. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. I um, I covered for um, uh, Peter and Vince sent me um, out to Albuquerque for episode four hundred nine. Okay. When um, Jenny Hutchison couldn't be there, but um, this is my first time actually being there for something I have written. How is that experience? Unreal. It was. I mean, I have had been very very lucky to uh, be on set a couple times before, um, but I mean, this was just this was so much fun and so so cool to see it all. Honestly, I mean, I've. Just so much respect for our crew and our actors and everybody seeing everything come together like that. It's it's magical. It's so much fun and so different from what we do, you know, in the writers' room. And just right. to see it all come together, it's very cool. And also, I have to say, I have so much respect for anyone who works on a crew and has and like knows how to adjust their sleep schedule <laughs> because I I failed miserably. You know, it, thankfully I had Red Bull, but it's a much different schedule than the rest of the world. Both yeah. in uh, like the writing and editing <laughs> worlds, but also in just in a lot of other worlds. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you hear people talk about a nine to five or a nine to six or whatever. But I mean, production often start. I mean, ge- like you generally try to start as early as possible, at least uh, at the beginning of the week. And and I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, where as the week goes along, you know, you start staggering as you have night scenes, and then sometimes by the end of the week, you're starting at night and you're going through the the into the morning, and it, yeah, it, it's a that's wild. It is. It was. I mean, and and just it was so cool, and everyone always you know was so upbeat and happy and like just really you know excited about the work they were doing, um, which was really palpable, really fun. It's uh, I you know I know we're gonna run out of time, but there's one other there's one scene we haven't really talked about that I just wanted to ask you about Peter as a as a filmmaker. Uh, it, on paper, I think it's kind of a simple scene, and it could just be uh, you know an inf- or I mean an emotional and informational scene. It's when when Hamlin kind of pulls Kim aside into this courtroom, this unused courtroom. And tries to warn her and confide in her what Jimmy has done to him over the course of this season. And she just laughs. And which is very striking. uh, And it it would be striking anyway. But the way that you staged it and shot it in this dark. Like we've never seen a courtroom quite like this on this show and there, one, the way that the the sun from outside is is providing all of seemingly providing all of the light, that it it adds this whole other uh, very subtle layer to the scene and and to sort of Kim's emotional and and intellectual uh, state of being, um, but then also the way that you ended it. That shot as the door closes and she's just in that little window is I, I, I was watching it here. I was I'm out loud. I don't normally like shout things, but I was like, great <laughs> shot. <laughs> it, I, it's 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 a beautiful shot, but also it's it's such an emotional shot because it, it says everything about 
about where Kim's at. How did you approach that scene in particular? And it's an episode that's full of all of these, you know, like dynamic and, you know, show stopping, you know, tent pole scenes with guns and, and, you know, effects. And that scene really, I found very stirring. And I'm wondering how you approached it. Uh, well, you know, I had, you know, this is where you have a, Great script. I think Ariel wrote this. Ariel wrote. There's another scene that Ariel wrote, and uh, then you have you know, you have Ray Seahorn, <laughs> you have Patrick Fabian. You just and you know, um, it's, it's really you really can't go wrong. Uh, Marshall, uh, I think we did talk about it a little bit because we've been in so many courtrooms, and it was just how do we. It just seemed like the only natural place for the two of them to have this conversation. So we we talked about how do we make this a little bit different. I think the when we wrote it or when we broke it, no, Ariel wrote it. I I think the um, initial idea was to have them at the um, at one of the tables, like the defense table, and mm-hmm. the, the Kim puts the box. I I always felt like the, starting with the box was good because that I wanted the box. Uh, to be important uh, to 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 Kim because of everything it represents, and also Howard being, you know, this banker's lawyer. Uh, I think that that's sort of the, the subtext of of the scene, and so I kind of thought, well, let's let's start on the box. Also, that way, uh, you don't have to have the shoe leather of them walking into the room. But my initial thought was to put it at the table, and and then um, we were actually scouting. And uh, Melissa Bernstein said, rightly said, why is Kim going all the way in here? She just wants to hear this, what this guy has to say and then move on. And I thought, damn, she is right. And then so we, we started thinking about how to, or I started thinking about how to, how to stage it where it's right inside. Because she's not going to go deep into the courtroom. She just wants to hear whatever Howard has to say. Right. So, you know, it's, it's funny because it's a lot of these decisions are, it's all about the internal logic of the characters in the scene and also of the show. Uh, and I think that was when Marshall, you know, we I think we both thought, well, why would they turn the lights on? You're not going to walk into this room and turn the lights right. on. And Marshall was able to figure out uh, a way to shoot. So uh, actually a good percentage of that scene was shot in more or less natural light. Wow. Um, and then when we turned around, you know, the day, the thing about the sun is it keeps moving. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, then, 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 so we figured, we, we basically figured out how to shoot it facing the windows and using the windows uh, on Kim's side. And then when we turned around onto Patrick, that then, then Marshall, Marshall lit it. Uh, so I, that's a long winded, and then I was also them at the ending of the scene. I mean, it's one of the things I always tell the directors, and I try to do myself, uh, is to think about how you get from scene to scene. Right. And I was thinking about um, where Kim is and where she. And you know, it's um, it's a callback. It's also there are other shots that we've done with characters framed in those little windows. Uh, uh, there were some. There's some great ones in episode two. Uh, but I, I just felt like you want to kind of box her in somehow, and so that was we did that shot, and I was I thought it worked it worked pretty pretty well. Boxing in, like, in the dark, dark boxing mm-hmm. in it's, the dark, and we wanted to give Howard the last word because uh, you know there's nothing more irritating in life than somebody who disagrees with you and you know in your heart that they're right. <laughs> uh, and it's it's yeah. it's, it's uh, you know and it, being a truth teller is a good way to get people to punch you in the face. Uh, and, and that's, it's not going to end well for Howard next season. I well, think. I don't know. We'll, we'll see because I think that's um, it's a good question. Uh, you know, it's a question about what what Kim really intends, and and uh, uh, you know, Jimmy has certainly uh, pulled pulled one on her more than once. So I don't know. I don't know mm. what she may have more in mind than than we know at the at the end of this this episode. But that was yeah, that was a fun scene. To, and that, you know, it's interesting you picked that one because that's. You know, it's it's it was it's kind of relaxing to have uh, to have these two, two two actors in a location that we've been to before, sure. uh, and it was those and they didn't they you know it was if directorially there wasn't it wasn't as uh, it wasn't I didn't feel quite as in the weeds as I did sometimes. And these two characters actually, I don't think they've been alone together since like four oh two. That's true. When yeah. Kim yells at him. Um, for you know, for telling oh, for telling uh, Jimmy about you know that Chuck killed himself, That's and it's thing. just it, it was there's so much so much tension in the air, and it was so so interesting contrasting that with like this kind of cool quiet courtroom. It's really 
it, it's great. it's a, it's a great scene in an episode full of great scenes uh, in uh, a season <laughs> full of just awesome moments. And uh, I I can't believe we're at the end of the season and that we have to wait until next season <laughs> to find out. Well, what ha- what's going to happen to Nacho? What was Lalo? What's going on with Lalo? What's where is Kim taking all this? What are they going to do to to Howard? And uh, and how, how and how are we going to wrap up this whole series? Yeah, because you know next season is our last season. We have, I guess, thirteen episodes. What's and Gene going to do? What's yeah. Gene going to do? Serious. What's Gene going to do? We got a lot of. Oh, I'm looking at Ariel. We're sitting here in the writers' room. <laughs> I'm thinking we're about to start in a couple of weeks. We're going about to start working again, and uh, I'm a little bit worried how we're going to get how we're going to end. How we're going to be great. I hope good really, things are happening. Gonna I awesome. really want to. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping we end it right. That's we're going to do our best. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for coming out on uh, on a on a beautiful Sunday uh, morning slash afternoon. And uh, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate all your support throughout the season. And um, boy, Ariel, mm-hmm. I think that yes. you should take us out. As you may know, at the end of every episode, uh, we end it with uh, one of our guests doing their best Bob Odenkirk style, Better Call oh, Saul. God. Will you, will you uh, do the <clears throat> honors? And, um, and oh, before that, thank you so much to everybody who you, you don't hear that much on the podcast, but Jen Carroll, who produces these podcasts and does the scheduling gymnastics of trying to get all of us in a room together, which is uh, much harder than you would think. Uh, and also to Valerie Chu and also Melissa Ng out there every and and uh and and nicholas sai who is who has come in as well you know we 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 do this on on the weekends kind of on our own time and uh, because we love doing it and joey reinish as well comes in brings in his mixing board and and um you know spends time away from his twins at home and uh you know we we just it, this is something that we do because we love the show and and uh and we and we and we love that you guys love it so uh so until next season, better call us all. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs>